You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. If you're new, I'm I'm Zach. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, we are excited to be starting a five-week series that's become kind of an annual event, and it's our Madison Multiply Network preaching series. And this year, we've entitled it Prayers for Our City, Prayers for Our City, five weeks focusing on prayers for the city of Madison. We talk a lot about neighbors and nations, and we pray a lot about um, our partners overseas. In these next five weeks, we're going to be focusing on our neighbors and praying that our city would be blessed and saturated with the fruit of the Spirit that comes in conversions and church planting. A lot of you are new here. You might not know what the Madison Multiply Network is. Um, Madison Multiply Network is three churches right now. We're hoping it will be more in the future. And they are this church and the two churches that we've planted in the last 13 years. So that's Redeemer City Church and Eastside Church. And so the three of us, we get together relationally. We support each other in ministry. Uh, we share offices in the, the building next door. We share a, a, a bookkeeper uh, that really blesses our church plants and us. Give it up for Naomi Ledgerwood. Uh, I don't know. Is she even here today? I don't think I've seen her. Uh, but Naomi does a great job helping all three churches with the with finances. Um, and it's just been a, a kind of a synthesis of relationships for the sake of blessing the city through church planting. And so we're hoping that it would continue. That's what Madison Multiply Network is. And so this August, we're going to be exploring five biblical prayers that call us to have God's heart for his kingdom and that his kingdom would come and his will be done like we pray in the Lord's Prayer. That that would happen in Madison. So in this series, in five weeks, we're we're going to focus on boldness in evangelism. That's today. And we're going to focus on unity and justice and mercy and more laborers to be sent out. That's where we're going to be going in five in these five weeks. What does God's heart have to say about these matters from a specific passage of Scripture? And how we should be praying about that and then acting upon it. You're going to see that happen in our text for today very, very tangibly. So just to give you a heads up on what to expect, uh, today obviously it's me. Next week it'll be Houston Tucker from Eastside Church and then Nate Hobart from, from Redeemer City Church and then Ben from Eastside Church and then finally James Davenport um, in week five. So in light of that, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter four. If you're new to your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, this is the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And we'll have up on the screen here a QR code. Um, if there's any questions that you would like me to address, if we have time, um, scan that QR code, save it on your phone, and that's where you can submit a question. And I would anticipate there might be some um, in light of a message like we're going to look at today. Here's our main point for today. 
spirit-filled, resurrection-focused, boldness in evangelism brings about resistance and a response. Let me say that again. Spirit-filled, resurrection-focused, boldness in evangelism brings about resistance and a conversion response. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 4 today. And then we're going to think about what the application might be. So look at Acts 4, starting in verse 1 with me. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the uh, temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. All right, so let's stop right there. So the followers of Jesus, they're simply sharing the gospel. That's what it says here. Look at it, verse 1. Speaking to the people, teaching the people, verse 2. Proclaiming, verse 2. See those words there? What? What's the content? The resurrection from the dead. Okay? That's The, the author here is Luke in Acts, and he's emphasizing their preaching that's focused on the resurrection. Resurrection-focused preaching. Jesus was raised from the dead. Everybody's going to be raised to the dead from the dead one day on Judgment Day. For, for blessing or for cursing. And, and what we should see jumping off the page right here, right off the bat, is that this was central, this preaching of the resurrection of Jesus, a historical fact, that was central in their evangelistic sharing, in their evangelistic preaching, then it should be primary for us as well. You'll see this as a theme all throughout the book of Acts. If you just go through and read the sermons, the evangelism that's in the book of Acts, you'll see a staunchly resurrection-focused preaching. The resurrection is everything. See, if Jesus was crucified by the Romans and he didn't rise from the dead, he's just one of thousands of people killed by the Romans in that horrific way. But if he died on a cross and then was raised from the dead, what does that make Jesus? That makes Jesus one of one. The most unique thing that history has ever observed. So if that is the case, and it is, then the resurrection can never be left out when we share our faith. But look at the text again. In verse 2, if we make this central, what will the response often be? Resistance. What's the word in, in verse 2? Annoyance. They were greatly annoyed. Why did the, the leaders find this annoying? Well, I think it's, it's pretty typical and it's always been this way ever since it happened, if it's true, and it is, then that has to be reckoned with. That has to be dealt with. That's not something you can be apathetic about. That has implications for your life if it's true. It's hard to be apathetic about that. If it's true, then Jesus is the real deal, and what he taught is the real deal. And everybody knows that what he taught has implications 
for our lives. But some people don't want to face those implications and so oftentimes get annoyed. I don't want to hear that. Very normal. But as you're sharing about the truth of the Christian faith and how that has implications for everybody's life, make sure that your person is not what's annoying. Hopefully the message is what's annoying. Right? You with me? It's never going to be perfect. Don't let that cause you to be lacking in courage. It's never going to be perfect. Just be aware of that issue, right? So let's keep reading. Verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So what happens here? Resistance and response. See it? Resistance and response. Preaching, the, the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus has implications for everybody's life. The leadership gets annoyed. They respond. What do they respond with? Jail time, right? Resistance and response. Jail time, but also mass conversion. You see it there? 5,000 men. Four women and children, probably. Preaching of the gospel, resistance and response, always. Jail time, mass conversion. How it's been throughout all of Christian history. These are always the outcomes when we share our faith with boldness. Some aren't going to like it. Some are going to respond to it. It's always been. Jesus promised this. So don't let resistance, in light of how it's always been, don't let resistance squash your boldness. Like if we're not bold, there might not be a response. Like the Bible says in in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. So if there's no hearing, there might not be a conversion. If there's no bold speaking leading to hearing, there might not be a response. So what do we have thus far? Resurrection-focused, boldness in evangelism brings about resistance and a conversion response. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Let's stop right there. So what's the backstory here? There's a backstory here that we didn't read. It's in chapter 3 of Acts. And Peter and John, by the power of God's Spirit, healed a man that was physically handicapped. He had serious physical needs, healed on the spot. Amazing miracle. That's all in chapter 3. And that's what they're responding to here. That miracle led to preaching, both of them very annoying for the leaders that are all about maintaining religious control. Okay? But look at this comment. Look at, look at 
verse 8. This is not incidental. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not incidental. That's vital. Absolutely vital. What he's going to say, what we're going to see him say here in a second, is all predicated on verse 8, that he's filled with the Spirit. That's what Luke wants us to understand. Peter doesn't get the credit. The Holy Spirit gets the credit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, Peter's just a, a scared, don't touch me, get away from me, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm going to deny Jesus three times kind of guy. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he's radically different. Filling equates to boldness. That's what the author wants us to see here. Here's the challenge. We've already kind of hinted at it. Like you can be bold. A lot of people are bold with a lot of different stuff. But if you're bold and lacking the filling of the Holy Spirit, you might just end up a buffoon instead of being bold. We, we all know how, how this goes, right? Like, he's bold. Yeah, boldly an idiot. He's bold. Yeah, he's bold like a bull in a china shop. But see, the filling of the Holy Spirit means embodying the fruit of the Spirit is probably going to prevent some of that negative boldness. And that's what's testified to here. Let's, let's take a look. Let's look at what Peter says after we see that he's filled with the Spirit. Second half of verse 8, he says this, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is a great gospel presentation. It's all right there, right? Jesus died. It's Jesus. It's no one else. It's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. Facts of history. He died, raised from the dead, salvation in no one else. Facts of history. Jesus of Nazareth died, raised from the dead, salvation in no one else. That's what Peter's saying here. He's the only way of salvation. There's no other name. There's no salvation in personal autonomy. There's no salvation in self-help, self-actualization. There's no salvation in the cultural dogmatism of our day. There's no salvation in Muhammad. There's no salvation in Buddha. There's no salvation in Mormonism or the JWs. There's no salvation in trying to perfectly keep the Old Testament. Salvation is only to salvation is seen and is only in being united to Jesus Christ when you come to him in repentance and faith. That's it. That's what Peter's saying. That's the Christian message for the last 2,000 years. 
anyone teaches a, a message different from that, Paul says, Galatians, may they be accursed. Spirit-filled, resurrection-focused, boldness in evangelism brings about resistance and a conversion response. Now look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness, there's that word again, boldness, they weren't scared. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, just, just incidentally, does that make you feel like comforted? I don't feel that exceptional, especially when I'm sharing my faith. But the Bible says that's okay. Common, you're just common dudes. Nothing special about these guys. Other than they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with this. That's an, that's an amazing statement. Boldness from Peter and John is on display. These are just some common dudes. That's what the text says. And if you were reading up to this point, what would you gather that the text says about why? What's the reason for their boldness? Probably just two things, real, real simple. Jesus died, raised from the dead, fact of history, they knew it, and they're filled with the Spirit. Jesus died, raised from the dead, fact of history, they knew it. And they're filled with the Spirit. What's the product? It's boldness. Boldness. Spirit-filled, resurrection-focused, boldness in evangelism brings about resistance and a conversion response. Verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed throughout them is evidence. Pay attention to that word. Is evident to all, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And here it is again. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Now this is fascinating. This right here is fascinating. They confess to one another that they can't deny the evidence, right? They can't deny the evidence. The evidence demands a verdict, and the verdict has come in. And it's clear, and everybody knows it. Like when the Spirit of God produces a miracle in the flesh and blood for everyone to see, you can't deny it. But here's, here's the interesting part that I think is really insightful for us as we think about sharing our faith with boldness. You would think that that evidence, evident to all, we cannot deny it, verse 16, you would think that this would lead them to repentance and faith in King Jesus, right? But they don't do that. They know it's a fact. 
But what do they do? They want to squash it as fast as possible. Right? What's going on here? What does that teach us about the human heart, especially as it relates to us sharing our faith? Well, it's this. When you boldly share your faith, resurrection-focused, spirit-filled, always remember you cannot logic someone into the kingdom of God. You can't back someone into a logical corner and then it's like, checkmate, now you have to be a Christian. All right, get baptized next week, come on. Like, that's not how it works. How the human heart works is in full display here in the text. Like these leaders, they had to admit it. A miracle happened. And and it had to be God's power. They get that. They believe or know that this is true. Meaning they intellectually assented to it. They have the right thinking. Did the miracle happen, yes or no? They have to say, Yes, clear. But when it comes to sharing your faith and desiring to see conversation, we have to remember this. It's not always about what you think. It's not always what you intellectually assent to. You can think something, you can know something is true, and here it it is, and hate it still. Some of you might be sitting there going, how's that work? Everyone can relate to this one. You ever get in a conflict with a spouse or maybe a dear friend or a family member? And you're getting into the heat of that conflict and all of a sudden it dawns on you, they're right and I'm wrong. Now, is your response in that moment Yes, someone rejoice in the truth and you just jump quickly to repentance. You're right and I'm wrong. Let's let's both celebrate the truth together. No, it's like, oh, they got me. Hate this. Right? That's how I am. If I'm honest. I don't love the truth in that moment. Why? Because it exposes me. Jesus exposes us. That's what's happening here. So when you share your faith boldly, resurrection-focused, spirit-filled, there's always going to be resistance. But just know that it might come as intellectual resistance, and it oftentimes does. And and that's okay, and it's very, very normal. But we also have to appeal to the heart. And what that has more to do with is what do you want? And what do you desire more than, or in addition to, what do you think? What are you willing to intellectually assent to? Like the heart has way more to do than what you love or what you desire. Jesus taught this parable of the soils. Mark chapter 4. Some seed was spread on good soil. But what happened? The desires of the world came and took it away. It wasn't that they 
didn't understand is that they desired something more. See? Oftentimes it's less about thinking, more about desiring. And we see that here. They have right thinking, but they hate it. They didn't desire it. They didn't love it. They love something else more. In this case, it's religious control. We can't let this spread any further. It's going to be a threat. That's what these guys are interested in. But what about for us when we're sharing our faith? Sometimes it might be good to ask just a simple question like, What is it about Jesus that you find undesirable? Or something like, if you could have all of your intellectual questions answered, would you then believe? Oftentimes that will show someone, I'm not sure it's really about the intellect. Usually that gets you to the heart of someone's idolatry, of our own idolatry. We ask ourselves that question. Maybe it's that I desire control more than I desire Jesus. Maybe it's I, I want to have the freedom to have sex however I want more than I desire Jesus. Maybe I want my personal autonomy more than having to recognize Jesus as king over my life. Like that idea of submission, that sounds horrible and scary. What is the authority that you want that you believe is going to bring you what you're seeking? Does that deliver? Like if you desire above all things money, is that working out? Those are heart questions. Those are desire questions. Those are, what do you love? Why do you love it? Can it give you what you are hoping it gives you? And if not, why not? What is it that you desire more that's preventing you from responding to Jesus' death and resurrection? This is a really important concept when it comes to us sharing our faith. Not just about the mind, it's about the heart. We have to appeal at both levels. And incidentally, like, we live in the information age. A lot of you sit here, here you know, are, are thinking about evangelism, and you're thinking, ah, I can't engage on the academic, intellectual level with a lot of people. Neither can I. Praise God for the internet, right? Like, your answer to every intellectual question about Christianity is literally two seconds away from this, right? The intellectual stuff is not challenging. But it's the heart stuff is where you really can come in and walk with someone and get to know someone. Say, what's going on with your heart here? Like, what? what why do you do not desire Jesus? Like, what is it? What is undesirable about him? That's a friendship question. That's a trust question. We got to do both. We have to do both. Because it's not just about the mind; it's about the heart. Let's look at what happens next. Verse eighteen. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. 
And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. But a man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Basically, the guys are just saying, do what you want. But this message is going to continue to be shared. Like, like, sorry, obedience to God is more important than obedience to you. The resurrection and the filling of the Spirit have changed these men's lives to be bold. Look at verse 24. Sorry, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, pay attention to this prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and I was quoting the Old Testament, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. <clears throat> Verse 27, for truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what are they doing here? How are they praying? Great model for our praying. They were reviewing the past. They were reviewing, looking back, what God has done. See it? Back to the Old Testament, life of David, like we've been talking about. Verse 25 what God had predestined to have taken place with Jesus. God ordained it all. They're trusting in his sovereignty here. And now they're going to pray for their future. So in light of the past, they pray about the future. Great model. Verse 29. And now, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Here's our word again. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Look at the result. They pray about what they're asking God for for the future. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. There it is again, filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and what's the other result? They continue to speak the word of God with boldness. So we see boldness and filling of the Spirit continues to be a theme in light of the resurrection of Jesus. They ask God to give them boldness to speak. So there's word, and what else? There's deed. Actions. What's the action in the text? God, would you do miracles? God, would you continue to do miracles? Would you enable boldness in word and amazing things in deeds? Word and deed, both. Declaration, demonstration, just like our vision statement says. We're going to declare it, and God, would you help us demonstrate that it's true through the miracles happening? And, and look at what verse 31 says. It says that God answers this prayer. Look at it. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. I wish I knew what that meant. Right? 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answered that prayer. They asked for it. He gave it. Spirit-filled, resurrection-focused, boldness in evangelism brings about resistance and a conversion response. So let me just close with this by, by way of application. When there's resistance to bold evangelism, and there's always resistance to bold evangelism, why don't we take our cues from what we see happening here in this text? Here's a gold mine here for us. Just looking at how they pray. What do they pray for? When there's fierce resistance, jail time, like that's pretty fierce resistance, right? How do they pray? They pray for two things. More boldness, more miracles. More boldness, more miracles. Now, I know every time we preach on evangelism, it's easy for me and for you to walk out of here feeling all beat up because no one does evangelism as we should. All of us are cowering, fearful like Peter, pre-resurrection to some degree. You guys are? I am. They were in this together. But instead of walking out of here beating ourselves up, because like you're not saved because you're good at evangelism. We all know that, right? It's not your performance. It's Jesus' performance for you. Walk in that freedom. But here's the deal. What if instead of us all beating ourselves up because none of us are doing evangelism as we should, what if we all just started praying like this on repeat? I wonder what would happen. Like, Lord, would you give us boldness to share and give miracles that are going to convince some? Not going to convince everybody, just like the text, but it's going to convince some. Because we learn from the text, when we pray like that, what happens? God answers it. He loves to answer prayers that are in accordance with his will. And this is certainly his will. So here, here's the action point I would suggest for us today. Maybe, maybe even write this down in your Bible somewhere. Write it on your phone. Put it on your fridge. Let's start asking the Lord on repeat for boldness to share and miracles that are going to convince some. My suggestion. A lot of evangelistic strategies out there that we could think about, and that's good. But what if we started here? Ask the Lord on repeat for boldness to share centered on the historical resurrection of Jesus and that miracles would accompany that whatever form that would convince some people. See, I'm persuaded if we do that, God might just answer our prayers like we see in this text. I think that's why it was written down for us while we're standing here today looking at it that it might just produce what we ask for. Boldness to share about the resurrection of King Jesus, miracles in people's lives, some people getting converted and added to our churches, disciples being made, churches being planted, and it goes on and goes on and goes on until Jesus returns.
spirit-filled, resurrection-focused, boldness in evangelism, brings about resistance and a conversion response, may we be praying for it. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, would you help us to know that apart from the filling of your Spirit, uh, we can do nothing. Apart from abiding in you, we can do nothing. So in light of what we've read this morning, by the power of your Spirit, we humble ourselves before it, and we ask that you would do that in us and in our churches. Eastside Church at Redeemer City Church, at, at Divine Church, Madison Multiply, and every other church on the face of this earth that confesses you as King Jesus. May it be so. Look at a couple questions here. How can we best boldly share the gospel with people who have had negative personal experiences with the church? Great question. I had this conversation um, recently with, um, I do uh, jiu-jitsu. It's a martial art thing where we try to kill each other. It's awesome. And, um, but I've been, you know, I'm in proximity with these guys uh, five hours a week, which is great. It's a great experience. Um, so as a result, you build relationships and you just talk about who you are and is who, I'm, who I am. It comes up and pastor people ask me about that, but I was having a conversation with one of the guys and battled off a bunch of baggage that he had with with the church. And um, there's a lot we can say about people that have had bad experiences with the church, but ultimately, um, no matter what organization you're going to be a part of, organizations have problems. You know, and and what I appeal to ultimately is the jiu-jitsu gym culture. Um, what I didn't know, I've only been doing this for about um, 18 months now, and, you know, churches have horrific splits. You know, it always happens. What I didn't know is that jiu-jitsu gyms have the exact same thing. Like, leaders are become at odds, and, like, you have gossip that starts. I mean, it's a typical story. It's of, of what we see happening in the churches, it happens in these jiu-jitsu gyms. And, and so the way I was able to appeal to him is like, you know how this has happened in, in your past? Because he's been doing jiu-jitsu stuff for a long time. And he's like, you've seen these gyms implode. Well, why does that happen? Well, because people are ultimately messed up, right? And then it's, he's like, yeah, I, I have to admit that. Well, that's ultimately what Christianity, Christianity is all about, is that people are messed up. They need saving. They can't save themselves. And then, you know, it goes from there, sharing the gospel. And and he didn't come to faith, but it was one step to, like, have him get, like, oh, yeah, like, any organization, if there's sinners involved, it's going to be messed up. So what do we do then? Like, is our hope going to be in self-help? That doesn't really get us anywhere, I don't think. And so... You know, that's going to lead to a lot of different streams of a conversation. I don't even remember what I said ultimately. But but I think that's one angle on it is what's sad is when there is um, 
what's really sad is when Christians, this is the hypocrisy that is different. That is, I think, the other thing we have to say. is like, we don't expect a jiu-jitsu gym to practice repentance because they don't say that they're all about that. But Christians and churches should be different, right? And that's where it really is a distinction there and where the hypocrisy runs really, really deep and is really, really dangerous. That's why Jesus went hard after hypocrites, the Pharisees, is if there's been a bad experience in the church, as best as we can, we own it, we apologize, we don't sweep stuff under the rug. And we just name it. And the last thing I would say is like, if had a bad experience, um, ultimately, the truth of something is not predicated on your experience of that thing. The truth of something is ultimately, are the teachings true? Just because followers are not acting in accordance with what the, the, the leader intended doesn't mean that what that leader taught is false. Right? Now, that's more challenging. That's easier said than done because our emotions are, again, like we just talked about, just because you assent to the truth doesn't mean your emotions immediately change. And that's what a lot of people deal with when they've had bad experiences with the church. That, that experience runs so deep and it's so painful. They don't want to be associated with anything Jesus-related because it's all mixed together. And so if that's the case with somebody, you have the chance to be the anti-narrative that they experienced, right? And so it's going to take patience. It's going to take conversation. It's going to take a lot of this kind of reasoning and, and talking. Um, but those are some things I, I would say. There's a lot more we could say about people that have baggage with the church, um, but I hope that's helpful.